We're in the book of James today. We're talking about some pretty important things. Now, you know the last couple of weeks we've walked through uh, the books of 1 Peter and of 2 Peter. We finished that up last week. So we're just kind of rolling back, if you will, uh, kind of a couple of pages here uh, in the Word of God into the book of James. Because today we're going to be talking about how we, in our walk with God and the journey that we're on, how we can get into the game. How we can actually find a place where we can get involved, get engaged, and serve. Because God did not call any of us to be bench warmers. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I remember my senior year, I was talked into it by a friend of mine, Andy Barrick, to go out for the baseball team. And so I thought, man, this would be cool. I'll go out for the baseball team. I didn't know you actually had to have talent. That was something new to me. And so I thought, man, this would be cool. I'll go out for the baseball game, a baseball team. And so I went out, I made the team. I was so excited. Man, I thought this is going to be cool. I'm going to spend my senior year playing baseball. Man, the girls are going to love it. It's going to be awesome. I sat on the bench pretty much the entire season. I had no talent, no ability to play. I watched lots of games. The times that I got in, the first time I got hit, I was so excited. I, got, I hit that ball, and man, it went out into uh, left or right the sea. Was that right field? I guess that'd be a right field. You never know which way you're looking, you know? So I went out into right field over the first base. Uh, first base. Man, I, was, I ran to first base. I was so proud. I was so excited. My mom and dad were sitting up in the sands, and they were watching me. And dad, man, he was all excited because he was a baseball star when he was in high school and college. In fact, he actually was drafted to play uh, professional baseball. He didn't go, thank goodness, because obviously God had a different plan. But, but, I mean, he would love baseball. And so he was so proud. I knew he was proud. And, man, I was looking up in the stands watching him. He had a smile on his face. And I'm standing there over first base. And I'm kind of leading out a little bit. And I'm just kind of proud of myself that I got the hit. Did not notice that the pitcher threw the ball to the first baseman and got me out right there. Picked me off first time ever, last time ever that I got on base. Was right there. I got picked off at first base. I was so proud. Uh, Dad was not smiling anymore. <laughs> I think he disowned me right there. From then on out, I was done. But, uh, you know, so here's the deal. I set the bench the entire season, and I did so because I didn't have the talent to be playing on the field. But listen to me. None of us in life have that same situation because every single person in this room has been uniquely gifted by God to accomplish God's will for your life. God has given you, He has equipped you, He has called you, He has filled you up with everything that is necessary for you to do what it is that He wants you to do. So don't ever buy into the lie of the world that you're not good enough. Don't ever buy into the lie of the world that you don't have what it takes. Don't ever believe that someone else can do it better than me. Because let me just tell you, when God calls you to it, when God equips you to do it, no one will be better at doing it than you. And so don't ever allow yourself to fall into that trap of thinking, I don't have what it takes. Today we're going to be talking about how that could not be further from the truth. You do. And God wants you to get in the game, and He wants you to serve, and He wants you to make a difference. Now, I want to give you our key verse for today. It's out of James chapter 1. Uh, it's verse uh, 5. And it just simply says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, let's just keep reading here if we could in James chapter 1. We'll keep on reading here. Verse 6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, 
When we read that passage, we get a very clear picture that God is faithful, that God wants to do what God wants to do, and that God is able to do what God wants to do. Now, let's kind of turn this around for a moment, and let's walk back, if we could, to kind of our mission statement. Now, I want to give you our mission statement for the church, okay? This is not like a church-centric message. This is an individual-centric message, a gospel-centric message, but I want to give you our church mission statement, and it's just simply this. Our mission is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and who love people. Let me say that one more time. We want to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and who love people. Now, that's a mission statement of our church. Now, if you've been around here any season, any period of time, you know that that mission statement is not something that a group of people got together and wordsmithed and marketing people tried to figure out something that was catchy and something that would, you know, really kind of catch people's attention. No, those actually come directly from the words of Jesus. If you were to spend time going into Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Acts chapter 1, you would see that Jesus spoke those words. Let's go to Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts chapter 1. What did he say in that conversation he had with the disciples before he went to heaven? He said, listen, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what the most important statement there that Jesus made? He said this, go into all the world and preach the what? the gospel. Let me just tell you something. When our mission statement says that we are to change our world, the only way to change our world is with the gospel. You don't change the world with a program. You don't change the world with an idea. You don't change the world because you're a nice guy. You don't change the world because you feed the hungry. You don't change the world because you help those that are impoverished. You don't change the world simply by showing up to help someone in need. Those things are very important, and we do them. You change the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I believe, and I believe that you believe as well, that the only thing that will truly change the world and change our eternity is when you believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He died, and that He rose again. And when you believe that, it changes everything. Do you agree with that today? And so our mission statement just kind of encapsulates what Jesus said in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts chapter 1, to change the world through the gospel. He also said, make disciples. You know what that means, right? That means growing in our faith. It means that when you come to Christ, like, like it's not just simply that you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then you come and you find a good seat in the room, and then you just kind of hang out, and you just kind of bide time until heaven shows up. It's not like the idea that, that what I want to do is I want to like have this perfect seat right here, and I'm going to sit down here next to Paula, and I'm just going to sit here, show up for church when church is supposed to be there. I'm going to listen to the sermon. I'm going to listen to the worship, and then everything's great, and I'm not going to grow. That is not what he wants us to do. You see, Christ calls us to make disciples. That means to grow in our faith, to become and so our mission statement says to change our world by developing Christ followers. You know what a Christ follower is? Somebody who's growing in their faith. And you know what? Jesus told us to do that. He commanded us to do that. But we're not done yet. So to change our world by developing Christ followers. Then that last part of the statement, who love God and who love people. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was questioned one day. He was asked the question like, what's the most important commandment? They were trying to trick him to say something that maybe could create problems, create challenges for what he was saying and what he was preaching. And Jesus said something that was brilliant. Of course, it would be brilliant. He's God, right? It's going to be brilliant. Here's what he said. 
to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and who love people comes directly from the lips of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, while that is our church mission statement, it's your mission statement. It may not be something you've adopted. It may not be something that you have like written down on a piece of paper and posted in the wall of your home. It may not be, as some people do, uh, written like in, in ink or in Sharpie or in whatever those markers are on the mirror in your bathroom. So every morning when you get up and you go into the restroom that you, that you see those words. It may not be that. But make no mistake, that is his mission statement for you. To change your world by helping to develop Christ followers by loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're not going to dig into, like, what the nuances of that are and, uh, like, all the different... We're going to get into that in a couple of weeks. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a sermon series here, basically saying, won't you be my neighbor? I'm going to put on a nice little red sweater every time I preach. It's going to be great. And we're going to talk about what Jesus intended for us to know about who our neighbor is and why we've got to love him and how we are. That's for later, for today. Like getting into the game, stopping being the bench warmer who's not accomplishing anything for the kingdom of God, and go and change the world. That's what we're going to talk about. Three things are required for that to happen. Three things are critical for us to figure that out. We have to find God's will for our lives. We have to figure out what that journey is, what it looks like, what it's going to be. And here are the three things. You can write them down if you want to. Three things that must be present, must be impactful, present in your life. If you're going to actually get into the game and find God's perfect will for your life, the first one is this. You have to have a pure heart. You've got to have a pure heart. Go back what it says in this passage. In James chapter 1, in verse 5, the first part of the verse, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You know what that really means? That means we're looking to the source. Pure hearts only look to the source to find truth. An impure heart, guess what they do? They look everywhere else. They look to the world. They look to the trends. They, they, they put their finger up to figure out which way the winds are blowing. They'll go in any direction, they'll run any different way, whatever's popular, whatever is trending, they'll go on Twitter and find out like what the, you know, everybody's talking about, and oh, I'm going to become that, figure out where the local protests are, and I'm going to show up down there, put my mask on, and walk. You know, whatever it might be, whatever, whatever way the winds are blowing, that's what an impure heart does. But a pure heart goes directly to the source. And what does God promise as it relates to that. Well, listen, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Because that's what a pure heart does. Now you say, wait a minute, now why is it so important to have a pure heart? Well, if we go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in that passage, it tells us in verse 3, for this is the will of God. Now I want you to stop right there for a moment. Leave that up on the screen if you would, Matt. For this is the will of God. Let me ask you a question, and this is, again, I, I think this is like a, a good opportunity for us to ask all of ourselves a question. Kind of look inward here. So how many of you want to find the will of God for your life? Just raise your hand. Like, I, I want to find the will of God. I hope every hand went up, right? Because we all should want to find the will of God, okay? So when you're reading God's Word, which I encourage you to do, when you're reading God's Word and it comes to a statement where it says these words, for this is the will of God. Do you think you ought to pay attention? 
You think like, well, wait a minute now, that's what I want to know. Like, like, yeah, that's it, okay? Here's what the, God's Word says. What is the will of God? For this is the will of God. Here it is, sanctification. Sanctification. So, okay, like, so what does that mean? Well, what does that mean to me? Here's what it means. It means holiness. It means a pure heart. God's will is for you to have the right kind of heart, to make sure that you're fixed and focused on the right things, of recognizing that's what really matters. Because if you continue reading this passage, what we very clearly see here is that when you have an impure heart, or worse, and probably more likely, certainly within the context of a local church, when you have a double-minded heart, you're never going to find and certainly never going to do the will of God. Look what it says in this passage. It says in verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Who is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways? The person without the, the person without the pure heart, the person without focusing and fixed on what God wants for you. Now, another quick quiz. How many of you want to live a life that is completely unstable? Just raise your hand, right? Nobody's raising your hand there, right? And yet God's word very clearly tells it. This is what sets that up. When you are a double-minded man, a double-minded woman, let me tell you what that means. That means one foot in the world and one foot in your faith. How many of you have ever done like one of those uh, corn mazes or one of those mazes out in the field? Like in the fall, they're like really popular. Like you go out, back up in Luray, Virginia, uh, up the Luray Caverns, they have one of those mazes, you know, that you can go in. And, and like all the, the, the greenery or whatever, the foliage, fo foliage, foliage, the foliage. That's a new word. The foliage, the green stuff is up like nine, ten feet high, right, around. The, and so you go in, you pay, and you, you got to find your way out. Now, I remember taking the kids up there, Sherry and I took the kids up there years ago. Man, we, the kids loved it. Man, they were running all through there, coming up against dead ends. I was in there running up against dead ends. But you know what's really cool in those kinds of things is uh, usually, and this one does, they also have like a stairwell that you can go up and like kind of a little thing where you can look over into the maze. And it's amazing. When you get up there and you're looking down into the maze, guess what is not difficult to figure out? The way out. Because when you're up high and you're looking down, man, you could figure out, oh, yeah, you go that way and then that way and turn that way, and, man, you'll find your way out. Not an issue, not a problem. It's easy because you can see from up high looking down the right way. But yet when we in our faith, when our walk with God, when we're double-minded, when we are kind of locked into this idea of like one foot in and one foot out, here's what it is. It's like we're smack dab right down in the middle of the maze, and we don't have a clue which way is the right way. We don't know where to turn. We don't know which way is going to get us through. We don't know which way is going to get us out. That's what this passage is kind of conveying, the idea that, that is written here in God's Word, giving us the picture. When you are a double-minded person, it's like you're way down inside the weeds and you cannot find your way out. And so we have to recognize the only way for us to actually find and do and accomplish God's will is for us to have a pure heart. But not just a pure heart. The second thing we've got to have is a ready heart. You've got to have a pure heart, absolutely. But you also have to have a ready heart. Like it's ready to be enacted, ready to, to be called into action, ready to serve, ready to do. Look what it says in this passage. Go to verse 6, the first part of the verse. But let him, that, that person who wants to find God's will, who lacks wisdom in asking of God, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
In other words, it's the idea like willing to respond, not doubting this whole thing, not doubting the journey, not doubting the faith of God, not doubting the wisdom of God. Like, I believe it with all my heart. I know God's going to give me the plan. I know God's going to give me the picture. I know God's going to lead me exactly where I need to go. And man, I'm ready to go. Like, man, I am locked and loaded, ready to go wherever it might be. And so we ask, we have a pure heart, but we have a ready heart. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9, gives us kind of a great picture of this. Look what it says in this passage. It says, Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Let me, let me give Kennedy a picture of what that means. It's kind of the idea of if you've ever been to one of those, uh, I don't even know what you call them, one of those places where they make clay stuff. Uh, pottery, there you go, thank you. Pottery and foliage. I'm, I'm just having a hard time today. But where they actually do the pottery thing, you know, they've got the wheel there, and they've got their big thing of clay there, and they're sitting there, and, and the person grabs and puts his hand out, and he figures out, starts, that thing starts spinning, you know, and he starts forming the clay, and pretty soon what was just like this lump of clay is now kind of morphed into this like, you know, vase, or, or maybe into a coffee cup, or into some kind of pitcher, or whatever it might be, and it begins to take shape, and it's really kind of cool. It's like, man, I didn't see that coming. I, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to look like that, and then pretty soon, man, it just looks awesome. What this passage is saying is like, does that ball of clay sit there and question the hands of the maker? Does that ball of clay sit there and say like, what are you, you're making a mistake. You're not doing this right. You're you're messing things up. No, what it is, is that ball of clay is thrown on that wheel and it doesn't do anything. It just sits there until the maker makes it into what it is intended to be. Same picture Isaiah 45 has given us here is this. We are that clump of clay. We are what God has placed onto his potter's wheel with the idea that that he wants to form us, shape us, make us into something that only his hands can make. So who are we to sit back and think we can do it better than he can? Because that clay that's sitting on that potter's wheel, let me just say, that clay will never become a vase unless someone shapes it. That that clay will never become a coffee pot or or a mug until someone with their crafted perfectly uh, intelligent, knowing exactly what to do with their hands, it makes it into what it's supposed to be. The same thing is true of us. Let me just tell you something. I think we all know this story. Like, like we've all, at some point in our journey, we've tried to figure it out on our own, haven't we? Like, we've tried to do this thing called life without, like, the input of God's Word. Okay, so I'm a pastor, and so, like, I know you kind of expect me that, that like, I'm going to be kind of the guy that I'm in God's Word, and so I'm looking for God's Word and finding God's Word to show me what to do and how to, I got to be honest with you, complete, you know, full disclosure, there have been times in my life where I've tried to figure it out on my own, where I've kind of walked the journey and figured, man, I, I can do this. I know enough. I go to church. I'm sitting over there in that seat next to Paula paying attention. Man, I, I'm singing the songs. I'm singing the songs. I, I know the words. Man, when the preacher's preaching, I get it. I'm taking notes. Yeah, you bet. Man, I'm showing up. I'm volunteering. I'm, I'm there. So I know enough. I can do this on my own. And you know what I am? I'm just nothing more than a clump of clay that will never be shaped into what God wants for me until I sit back and say, you know what, God, here I am. Make me. Here I am, God. Make me into what you want me to be. God, shape me however you want to shape me. And that's a difficult place to be in because what it means is this, total dependence. 
It's mean like letting go of what you desire and what you want and what you think is best and put it into the hands of God. But man, come on, seriously, like putting our lives into the hands of God, it's kind of a safe bet, don't you think? Because he's the one that created you. He's the one that made you. He's the one that created everything. It's kind of a safe place to be. George Mueller said this. Listen to these words, man, a great quote. He said this, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. You know what George Mueller is saying there? When you get your heart to a pure heart, to a ready heart, like I am ready to do whatever God wants me to do. God, you show me, you fill me. I'm digging into your word. I'm talking to you through prayer. God, give me what you want to give me. And God, I am ready to receive it. And I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to be whatever you want me to be. What George Mueller says there in the last part, last part of that quote is this. And when you get your heart to that place, man, you are just right around the corner to finding God's perfect will. Remember a few moments ago when I said, how many of you want to find God's will for your life and everybody's hands went up? Okay, so I'm giving you kind of the cliff note version here, kind of a shortcut. Like, right, if you ever pay like Super Mario Brothers, like this is one of those secret little tunnels that you can go in, right? And here's what God's word says this. God's word says this. Listen, get your heart ready. Put yourself into his hands. And man, you're that close to finding God's perfect will. It's a pure heart. It's a ready heart. Here's a third one. A passionate heart. A passionate heart. Like actually caring, actually wanting to do what God has called you to do. Like, like really deliberately like, man, I want to do this. I want to be what God wants me to be. Look what it says in this passage in uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, you don't need to turn there, it'll be on the screen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Here's what it is, a passionate heart to make a difference. A passionate heart to get the gospel out there. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Man, we need churches full of people who are not ashamed of the gospel. Now I know you're sitting there saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. No, I'm not, I'm not. I think it's awesome. I think it's great. I remember years ago when I heard it and believed in it. Yeah, I love the gospel. The gospel is awesome. I'm, I'm for the gospel. I'm a, I'm a gospel-loving, gospel-believing guy. Until you get out into a world where people mock the gospel, until you get out into a world where people will make fun of you if you share the gospel, where people might criticize you, or worse, people might hurt you because of the gospel you see it's when we get in that place and like like we say yeah i'm not ashamed of the gospel but i'm gonna like keep it here in my my pocket it's like right here and man if i get like 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 clearly like like if there's like flashing neon lines uh, lights there that tell me to pull the gospel out man i'll pull it out absolutely what about when it's not right See, for God to accomplish in us and do in us what he wants us to do, we have to have a heart that's 
sanctified, set apart from the world, a pure heart. We have to have a heart that's ready, like ready to fill me up, God, make me, shape me, use me, God. But then thirdly, it has to be a heart that like actually wants to do it, like wants to actually get into the game, not just sit by the sidelines, not just watch what's happening over there, but man, you are right there in the middle, making it happen, making a difference, getting into the battle. And that's what it is, because it's a battle for the hearts and the souls of men and women all around the world who are lost and dying and going to hell. And God has commissioned us to go. We got to get passionate about this thing. You said, yeah, I want to find God's will for my life. Listen, God's will can never be accomplished with a person who's not passionate. God's will can never be accomplished in your life unless you are passionate about doing exactly what it is that he wants you to do. John chapter 15, verse 16, you know what Jesus told us there? He said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Think about that. Jesus appointed you. And here's what he appointed us to do that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, we love the last part of that verse, don't we? Anything you ask in the Father's name, you go to the Father in my name. Dude, I'm telling you, Jesus will do it. We've all claimed that prayer before. Man, I need a job. I I need a job. I'm asking in Jesus' name, give it to me. God, I need more money. Jesus, I'm asking it in in your name. God, give it to me. I mean, we we love that last part of that prayer, right? We we, we get that. That's like our our go-to. That's awesome. Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Man, that's awesome. But you know what? He gets to that statement by taking us through. I have appointed you to bear fruit. Now, let me just tell you quickly what that really means. It means this, is when you go out into a world that's lost and dying and going to hell, Jesus said, I've appointed you to go and tell them. I've appointed you to take that message and to hand it to people, to give it to them, to share it with them, to like put it into their hands, to show them that you care, that you love them so much, that you're willing to give them that, this message. Listen, I've appointed you to go and to do that. And listen, when you do, when you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. Have you ever been in a situation where your heart hurt for someone who is away from God? of someone that you just knew did not know Christ. And man, you're burdened for them. You are longing for them to know Christ, to, to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want them to hear it and get saved because you see the road that they're on is going to lead to destruction and your heart is so heavy for that person. John chapter 15 says this, listen, I have appointed you to go tell them. And when you do, When you ask the Father in my name, I'll do it. You know what that tells us? Jesus is less interested in giving you what you want. He's more interested in giving you what he has commanded you to be faithful in doing. So here's what that means. If we're faithful to get in the game and do what Christ has told us to do, Jesus is our biggest cheerleader, standing right by the side of the field, 
ready to do whatever is necessary for us to be successful because that's when we are in the perfect will of God. We started our time together today asking, who wants to find God's will for their lives? Everyone raise their hands. Let me just tell you, God's will for your life is to find Him as your Lord and Savior, to believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, to set yourself apart from the world and grow in your faith and to become all that He wants you to become with a heart that is ready to go out and do whatever it is that He wants you to do with a passion to accomplish it as quickly and and as, as successfully as possible so that the world through you might hear about Him. I have appointed you, Jesus said, to go and to bear fruit. And when you do, that fruit will remain change our world that's what god has commissioned us all to do heavenly father we thank you that you have allowed us to be a part of the equation of a world that is falling apart that is struggling that is in trial that is in tribulation a world that seems daily to just be going crazy But God, yet you have actually put it into our hearts and into our our path, into our journey to actually make a positive difference. God, we thank you for that. God, I just pray that we would be diligent, that we would be faithful in doing what you've called us to do. God, I pray for the people gathered in this room. I pray for those watching right now, wherever it might be around the world. God, I just pray that you would, in some way, God, that you would... Allow us the privilege of of pursuing that heart that is pure, that heart that is ready, that heart that is passionate. God, so that we can be exactly in the perfect will of God for our lives so that we together can change your world. God, that's what we want to do. God, we'll give you the praise for it. But God, I know all of that starts with a decision. And I pray that the people listening, watching here today, that they will make the decision today. I'm in. I want to get in the game. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, today we've walked through God's word, which clearly gives us like the statement of what he wants us to do, how he wants us to do it. The importance of being faithful, the importance of walking with him. And so if you're gathered here in this room, maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the very first step. It's the most important step. It's the step that unlocks everything else that's in the kingdom of God. And if you're here today or you're watching today, listening today, and you have not done that, believing that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again for your sins, that you as a sinner need a savior, that according to God's word, that Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sins. And if you've never come to that point of saying, yes, I believe that right here, right now, This is the moment to do that. In your heart, to just simply say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that Jesus is my Savior. I know that he died and that he rose again for my sins. God, forgive me of my sins. And save me today through your son, Jesus. And help me to live for you for the rest of my life as you give me the strength to do it. Thank you, God, for saving me. Today, I believe. That should be the prayer of your hearts. And if you have prayed that prayer today or you want to pray that prayer, man, I encourage you right now, wherever you are in this room, 
just make your way in a moment when we stand to this altar and talk with one of our team members. If you're watching right now, man, I encourage you to email us, write us, go in the comments below and let us know. We'll follow up with you. We'll be praying for you, praying with you, whatever it might be. Let God be the one that changes your life, your journey, your eternity through his son, Jesus. Maybe you are a Christian, but man, you've been sitting on the sidelines. You're a man, you are lettering and bench warming. Like, like you're just doing it really, really well. Today's the day to turn that around. And so in a moment, I'm gonna encourage you maybe to come down and kneel at this altar and just say, I'm all in. I am tired of sitting by the sidelines. I'm tired of watching. I'm tired of just being a, you know, taking up space. Man, I want to make a difference. I want to change the world. I want to change my world. I want to change my classroom. I want to change my place of business where I work. Man, I want to change my neighborhood. I want to change where you put me. I want to change my family. It starts with you. And you're willing to say, today, I'm in. I'm going to do it. In a moment, we stand, I encourage me. Come there and just kneel here and just say, yeah, I, I'm in. I am all, all in. If you want to come and join the church, come for baptism, man, do that too. Like, like this is, man, let's just, let's just engage here to do what God's called us to do. Let's stand right now. Let's sing these words together. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.